getting to the good stuff. Chapter two, State and Revolution. So this is back to uh, the same thing I said about Marx when we started Marx, in that, damn it, you told me this was going to be good, and chapter one wasn't fun. Chapter one's a bummer. It was no, you. It was very angry. It, content it was a bum. It was not. There was not a whole lot of. And then we're talking about again. We're doing stuff. It was. I did not. I did, chapter one did not. Did not tickle my giblets. Let's put it that I'm, way. I'm gonna kick you in the giblets. You can that kick is, me in the giblets all you want. It was. It was an underwhelming chapter. <laughs> Thank God. We do get into chapter two, and okay. more importantly, chapter three. Nathan, Nathan is a fan of these chapters. All these right. are solid chapters. Okay. These All are right. solid chapters. So for anyone wondering, there's Nathan's opinion. Hi. All right. So this is the experience of 1848 to 51. And uh, for context, guys, we're talking about France because they just talk about this and, and we'll get there as we go. We're going to give I'm going to try and give as much context for this as I can, um, unless David has better context. But uh, this is all very this is the the second and less uh, less heralded French Revolution that we're talking about. Yeah, essentially. the, the, the French one, Revolution they don't talk about in school. They the the one that's far far more important to socialists. Yes, and the one that is weirdly enough intent seems to be undertaught. Yeah, weird how the weird. one that seems critical to socialist thought is uh is kind of completely subverted to that one weird bougie one that kind of mirrored ours but got fashy yeah. at the now, end. Now just to set a little bit of setting, little bit of setting. Uh, so obviously Marx was starting to be pretty prominent at this point. Yeah, um, he was writing his stuff was out there. Uh, I think he had actually just written the Communist Manifesto in eighteen forty eight. Uh, I thought Communist Manifesto was eighteen forty seven. 1847. No, okay. no, that was... Uh, no, 1847. Yeah, 1847. Okay, so he just read the Communist Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And... I, I mean, his message was getting out there. You know? oh, yeah. um, he he had already, you know, met angles, become a dialectic materialist, all this stuff. Sure. Now people are going to notice the difference in class, and they're going to drive towards their own revolution anyway. Uh, but every revolution has some kind of theory behind it, some kind of philosophy, what you want to accomplish. Yes. Otherwise, it's a bloodbath, and you may be the cause of the revolution, but whoever has some kind of philosophy is going to swoop in and take it from you yes. and establish their own power. You have to have your philosophy, your concrete plan. You know. This is why we're not anarchists. It is. Also, really good Fred Hampton video that showed up on Twitter this week. I don't know where. I don't. I, you may have linked it on Twitter. I don't know where he explained that exact thing of uh, that you need. To ground oh your, yeah. You have to ground your revolution and, and it just otherwise just, reactionaries will take it. Or exactly. Just a revolution. Yeah. A revolution. An armed revolution without ideology just devolves into madness every single time and devolves into the, someone else will come in. Yeah, and, and it's and not support. just madness. We're fine. We're fine with madness because people establish their own order. It's that when the order is established, you're going to allow reactionaries to take care of that order. Yep. Um, so, you know, Marx is looking at this, and this is a big eye-opener, and we'll get into that with this chapter. This is a little bit of a big eye-opener for Marx at this point. I think we get into that chapter three. It um, is, it okay. is, but we, it, it's, because chapter three is when it actually happens. Yeah, because we're, this is a big eye-opener for Marx, because Marx is a materialist. <laughs> he takes what he sees in the world. And so when he sees something... He's got to learn from it, and he's got to mold his philosophy around it for everyone in the future to understand the philosophy and take their own actions. Yep. You had to see going into so 1848, 1851. I mean, there was a widespread. This wasn't just even in Paris. I mean, you had, and there's a really good. If you want, if you want really, really good context for this whole thing, and you want to spend as much time on the context of this episode as you do on our entire podcast, <laughs> Mike Duncan has a really good um, series on of on revolutions and the the I think it's series seven is the lead up 
to the Paris Con. Basically, the revolutions that happened in Prussia and Hungary and and France and and Germany, leading up. Well. Prussia, Austria, what it, Germany was Germany then, um, leading up to it, and then the Paris Com, the Revolution in, in 1871, kind of, and it gives you, it, it does not do it through the, he, he references Marx in all the proper places and does it, yeah. but he's obviously not, I, I wouldn't call him a, <laughs> a Marxist by any stretch of the imagination, he is much more of a, a mainstream historian, if anything, but he, he doesn't, he definitely doesn't do the, and Marx was obviously an idiot and this didn't work, like, he, he gives it its right place, but uh, the, to Tocqueville was also recognizing it right at this time, 1840, everyone's favorite who most people only know him because he his book he wrote about America mm-hmm. because god damn it we are that self-centered but no he he actually did other things other than write a book about America like he was kind of important and it was interesting because concurrently to when Marx was writing the communist manifesto to Tocqueville was still very much bougie liberal like he he was giving speeches in parliament to to the french ministers going hey hey guys Guys, they're they're gonna kill us. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the we've kind of broken into two different classes. He basically mirrored. Marx identified it and said, "Yes, this is coming, and it's awesome. We're gonna do it." And to Tocqueville recognized it and said, "Guys, guys, guys, it's coming. Please, God, we gotta stop it. Do something. Do something quickly. We cannot let this happen." So they were kind of two sides of the same coin. To Tocqueville, I think, famously quoted saying that uh, uh, Europe was sitting on a volcano. And uh, in 1848 to 1851, that volcano fucking went off. Yes. And Marx gets to, for the first time, analyze his theory in the real world because up till now we'd kind of been playing in theory. Yeah, so this is a fun one. Uh, and if you're not catching this too, in the next chapter we'll also talk about another French Revolution. Oh, we get to the good one. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah we get to the good that's one. That's the real good one. We'll, we'll start here. So uh, he says, in Poverty and Philosophy, Marx wrote, the working class in the course of development will substitute for the old bourgeoisie society an association which will preclude classes and their antagonism, and there will be no more political power groups, since political power is precisely the official expression of class antagonism in bourgeoisie society society. Now that, I mean, that's very, very clear. If you have a government, there are classes, there is is class, and there are unresolvable differences. We talked about that the, the yeah. last chapter. A state only, in, in, in Marxism, a state only exists in order to keep to to resolve class antagonism in favor mm-hmm. of the ruling class, period. Yeah. That's, that's the only reason you would need a state at this stage of development, according to Marx. Mm-hmm. Now, right after uh, he wrote the Poverty Philosophy, he was working on the Communist Manifesto. Woo! So, November 1847, in the Communist Manifesto, uh, Marx wrote, um, and, and Marx and Engels kind of wrote that together, yeah. but it's mostly Marx's work, so we'll, we'll stay there. Uh, in depicting the most general phases of development of the proletariat, we trace the more or less veiled civil war, raging within society up to the point where the war breaks out into open revolution, and where the violent overthrow of the bourgeoisie lays the foundation for the sway of the proletariat. We have seen above that the first step in the revolution by the working class is to raise the proletariat to the position of the ruling class to win the battle of democracy. The proletariat will use its political supremacy to wrest by degree all capital from the bourgeoisie, to centralize all instruments of production in the hands of the state, of the proletariat organized as the ruling class, and to increase the total productive forces as rapidly as possible. 
Now there was a lot of content there. There was there was quite a bit. It kind of gets densed in it gets densed in there. We highlighted it, but yeah. So let's yeah. let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, let's unpack that before we get to Lennon unpacking that. Now Lennon's obviously going to do a good <laughs> job of unpacking that, uh, but we're going to unpack that ourselves because I, I I think he there's some assumption that people understand what Marx is getting at there, and Lennon's a, going to find what's important. A lot of it. The, the, yeah. The, this book will be a lot more of us pausing and explaining stuff, mostly because Lennon, in the time he was writing this, assumed anyone reading this was very, very, very aware of all of this. Yeah, and there's a reason he thought that. He wasn't just being an asshole that didn't understand. He knew what his masses were. He was no, writing No, he knew this. who he was writing to. This he was not... To. They this were was people not some... in the middle of a revolution. Yeah, they knew... They, he, he assumed it because it was accurate. It'd be the equivalent of us, you know, if we were rehashing 2016 right now, we wouldn't have to go in, well, Hillary Clinton, you see, was born in 1965, and she had a husband <laughs> who was a president went like no we would you just understand the context because you're living it. right right so now that you've got that laid out uh <laughs> let's get you caught up in the fact that um you know hillary clinton was was married to a president she was she stuff. was yeah um so he's talking about political supremacy and and marx talking about wresting uh, the degree of all capital away from the bourgeoisie. So the working class is taking the capital. And then he's talking about centralization. And there's a certain understanding you have to have here, because we've had this kind of like tattered with anti-communist stuff where they try to say, you know, oh, socialism is when the government does stuff. And the more the government does stuff, the more socialism that is, right? You know, I mean, that's it's nonsense. Well, kind of. The problem with that is that it's a bourgeoisie government. Yes. It's a bourgeoisie government. They're going to exactly be against our interests, and they're going to use it for class rule. And this is why those ac accusations of socialism not working tend to, and I, th I think we get into this as we go, mm. it's, it's less a reflection of socialism, communism, whatever you want to call it, not working, and more because in only, all but one or two very rare cases, depending on how you classify uh, classify these revolutions, most of them didn't... Most, most countries that call themselves socialists have not been able to completely destroy the bourgeois state. They have not got to a point where that was feasible yet. Now, again, the USSR very, very much got, got pulled it off and did it effectively. Yeah. Uh, China... I would say Mao's China effectively pulled that off, mm -hmm. um, and then a lot of the Bolivarian revolutions. But those, the Bolivarian revolutions take on kind of an, their own yeah, take because I mean, of the material conditions. Uh, From, Cuba, 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 in Cuba. So what, what Marx, how Marx is talking about it when people critique, you know, oh, well, socialism doesn't. No, no, no. Be very careful about what you're saying here, because just taking the taking the existing bourgeois state and giving us free healthcare is not socialism. No. That's that's not. No, you're no. Using so the wrong yeah, words. I mean that 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 idea that the Nordic states are socialism is nonsense. So he's talking about centralizing things, you know. Yes. And this is where like you get the right wing, like oh, we're believe in small government. And dirt, 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 dirt. They don't believe in small government. They just don't want you to centralize stuff. But centralizing stuff is important when the working class has it. The proletariat has to take the state, and then we can centralize everything. Then we can nationalize everything because that nationalization is coming into possession of the people, not the rulers. Yeah. We're not trying to hand everything to the ruling class and then, you know, call it a day and say, ha-ha, we're saved. That's... You know, this is, we're not gunning for a pathway back to a monarchy. We're taking the people, taking control of their hands, and then handling it together instead of private ownership. Yeah. And so that's that's a very, very important line there. Yeah. And so with that, Lenin's going to continue. We have a formulation of one of the most remarkable and most important ideas of Marxism on the subject of the state. Namely, the idea of the dictatorship of the proletariat, as Marx and Engels began to call it 
after the Paris Commune. Wow. Welcome to the most wildly misunderstood phrase in all of Marxism. <laughs> it's a it's a very heated... You could have a 64-bracket March Madness tournament for misunderstood phrases of Marxism, but good God, dictatorship, of the, win. dictatorship of the proletariat takes it away every... They are the duke of this tournament every year. Yeah. And... And also, a highly interesting definition of the state, which is also one of the forgotten words of Marxism. The state, yep. i.e. the proletarian organized as a ruling class. And again, context for this, we talked about it during chapter one. This is a directly refuting this kind of backing off and sanitizing of Marx that Kautsky and the and the rest of the, for lack of a better word, DSA, <laughs> the, the Russian DSA were doing at the time, where they kind of yeah, tried. Kautsky was the, the German DSA type. Yes, 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 yes. And then, and then uh, Kerensky was running Kare the, uh, and, and who was the leader of the SRs? I can't remember. Oh, uh, um, it was, Plakhanov, I know, was very uh, big on backing. Because Kerensky was the Mensheviks. Yeah, um, I would, uh, we'll get to Too we'll, many names. Yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to them. But it was, again, it's th this concept that no, you didn't, that there wouldn't be a state and it would slowly dissolve itself. And it was this, this is directly, no. Marx had a very clear definition of what the state would be yeah. and you guys are just ignoring it. That's not that's not what he said. So stop, you know, stop trying to pick and choose here. Right. So he says, the definition of the state has never been explained and the prevailing propaganda and agitation literature of the official social democratic parties. More than that, it has been deliberately ignored for it is absolutely irreconcilable with reformism and is a slap in the face to the common opportunist prejudices and Philistine illusions about the peaceful development of democracy. In scare quotes. In scare quotes. The proletariat needs the state. This is repeated by all the opportunists, social chauvinists, and Koskiites who assure that this is what Marx taught. And, and this is where, you know, I mean, he's saying that's not the state that Marx was telling you to take hold of. No, no. So, but they forget to add in, in the first place, according to Marx, the proletariat needs only a state that is withering away. A state constituted so that it begins to wither away immediately and cannot but wither away. And second, the working people need a state, the proletariat organized as the ruling class. Not just taking the existing government. You cannot mm -hmm. vote your way to socialism. No. You can't. No. <laughs> you cannot do it. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. Mm -hmm. You can get to some form of uh, you can get to a very extreme social welfare state with, a, with all sorts of fun things that are ob objectively good things to have. Mm -hmm. But do not call that socialism. Do not change. You can, you can use elections to platform your ideas. Although right now, <laughs> the farthest left uh, parties are very much tampered by the ruling class in the United States. Anyway, exactly. You can, in a third world country, uh, elect your way. Sometimes, in rare cases, to socialism, as in the Bolivarian Revolution, because of decolonial aspects of the people. And that is... And look how hard you have to defend that. Exactly. And that's, again, that is one of the aspects of... And it, it, it's good that you pointed out. That's why the... And it, again, it goes to that third, you know, Mao's kind of concept of third worldism. The, the rules are different depending on your conditions. Yeah. Every single time. In a, in, in oh, yeah. Nationalism in, in a country that has been occupied, is being colonized, or has been decolonized yes. and defending that decolonization is a very good thing. Nationalism in an imperialist country is a very evil thing. And again, our system, the way it has been constructed, is not 
the same as the system that that Chavez and the Chavistas and all of them were able to mm-hmm. to overthrow in in Venezuela. You cannot yes. just say, "Well, they did it." We did. no. Again, mark material condition. We're materialists. You look at what actually exists, and if you think that going out and just getting all the people to go vote for, you know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and, and the party are are going to get us to socialism, no. Yeah, and and we should be a little clearer on that too. The reason the third world's a little different is because they essentially have another ruling class above them. Yes. And so when you're electing people to a third world government, you're not electing people to the ruling classes system. You're electing people to the ruling classes puppet system in your region. And if that puppet system has the working gears for you to put your hands on and take care of and decolonize yourself, great, fantastic. Elect people and do it. If it doesn't, sometimes you got to be a little, you know, Ho Chi Minh or Thomas Sankara Mm -hmm. and get there with the guns just like if you were here in the first world. It just depends on what kind of system's underlying there. But their real ruling class aren't their rulers, although those are certainly rulers over them because oh, yes. but those guys are puppets of an empire right. it's the empire i mean it's 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 I, I don't think like say letting iraq vote as a state would do anything to liberate them that no. would be nonsense but it's kind of absurd that they don't because they're being ruled by the same ruling class as us yeah. they're not even getting the faux elections they get guns in their faces you know and again when we use third world just to just to make sure because again not a term that we would really use much anymore i think no well, yeah that, we're getting... this is more specifically like again there is a there is a specific definition of third worldism that is very relevant yeah i think a better term might be global south yes or for just sure colonized and formerly colonized yes, so yes, that's yes, a yes, little yes, more yes. wordy exactly but that kind of thing yeah but again when i talk about third world it's not just because we're we're lazy and profiting that point it was again it's just how mao described it and that's <laughs> the framework i'm working off of here yeah um so it says the state is a specialized organization of for and this is lenin saying this again Back to lenin. So state is organizing a special uh, <laughs> state is a special organization of force is an organization of violence for the suppression of some class what class must the proletariat suppress naturally only the exploiting class the bourgeoisie the working people need a state only to suppress the resistance of exploiters and only the proletariat can direct this suppression can carry it out for the proletariat is the only class that is consistently revolutionary the only class that can unite all the working people and exploited people in the struggle against the bourgeoisie and completely removing it so and I think go go that next go one more paragraph okay, okay. I think that all links together really okay well. sure the exploiting classes need political rule to maintain exploitation and the selfish interest of an insignificant minority against the vast majority of all people the exploited classes need political rule in order to completely abolish exploitation in the interest of the vast, vast majority of people and against insignificant minority consisting of the modern slave owners the landowners and capitalists and this is really again this is the direct refutation to the the to the anarchist solution yeah. um because again the anarchists are a, a lot of times you know comrades to a certain degree to we, we we agree we all line up in a certain level and then we split and and i think this those two paragraphs i think so succinctly sum up why that's what why you're going to need something because the yeah. concept that you're going to be able to enforce what needs to be enforced without a state, i.e. a coercive power that that can enforce rules on a group of people, if you think you're going to get that just by voluntary collect it's not going to happen it's yeah, not I mean, if, going to happen if we have a socialist revolution tomorrow yes and we topple the US government it's not like there's going to be no Nazis all of a sudden. No. It's not like there's going to be no white supremacists. It's not like all these people that were the cops or with the army 
um, or, or just going to put down their guns and go ha and high five well, voluntarily. The ruling class that is going to be exploited. The, 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 the people to fight that, back the, exactly. violently. I mean, that I mean that's also why people are in for a rude awakening. If you think you can just elect social democrats and start getting everything they want, and you don't even have to be as extreme as the KKK and the Proud Boys. I mean, you've got to talk. Small, the, the local business owner, the guy in your town that's run in every election and weirdly is on like every city council guy, mm-hmm. he doesn't want socialism, guys. I don't, I hate to break it to you. He's not going to be an ally when this whole thing goes down. Um, everyone's town has, now again, we have the benefit the community of. community leaders and the people that buy into the community leaders yes. are going to be, you know. The, but our, our great, our great, and, and, and Lenin pointed it out here, our great, you know, benefit to this, we outnumber them. We were talking about how, you know, you have to, to fight back. You have to have this this hard rule. And so one thing you're seeing in different places in Africa, most especially S- South Africa, is mm. land being reclaimed. Land being reclaimed by the African people there. So there is a lot of white supremacist concern trolling. Oh, my God, they're stealing away our land and not even paying for it. And, oh, my God, this, this one person was yelled at in public. And the people that are having their land taken away, you've got to realize, like, I think it's like 5% of the population there is white, and 97% of the land is still owned by them. We broke apartheid there, and they still dominate in a much more exaggerated way than even the United States. Because... Just getting rid of again. It's yeah, same way you get, get rid, rid of the government. Get rid of Jim Crow. Get rid of get rid of organized chattel slavery. The the power lies in who has the me again. Yeah. The land there is their means of production. If you don't expropriate that from them, you're never going to change that power dynamic ever. Yeah. No and, matter how much goodwill you pump in. Yeah, and of course, I mean these things do take time. Yes. The ANC is 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 their dictatorship of the proletariat, and they're taking time. And now they're at the step where they're appropriating land back. And white supremacists are under this mass hysteria. Because they're white supremacists and black people getting anything back would be bad. But also because they can do this, they're, they're stealing the land. They're doing these poor these poor people that have been living in South Africa their whole lives. And these are the apartheid, you know, ruby-owning, like, the, It's emeralds. It's, em- it's, it's the Elon Musk emeralds. apartheid emeralds. Yeah, the Elon Musk apartheid emeralds. Which it's, now I always imagine is just like a... You, like he's, you always he, make me think of Sonic the Hedgehog. Elon Musk, exactly. Elon Musk is fucking Dr. Egghead 2.0. Like, that is, <laughs> the, when we freaking redo that, the gritty reboot, that's already apparently happening. If Elon Musk is not the villain in that one, it's wrong. He, him and his apartheid chaos emeralds are absolutely the root of all evil right now. <laughs> but, I mean, that's something real-world application you're seeing. Okay? Yes, yes, there's a real-world application of Sonic chaos no, emeralds. No, not that. Absolutely, you're 100% David. right. I just, every episode of this, I find new reasons <laughs> just to just want to lash out you. Oh, God, at least we don't take ourselves seriously. Yeah, no, thank God we don't, because you're a douchebag. <laughs> I'm a horrible person, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so let it continues. The petty bourgeois Democrats, those shame, sham socialists who replaced the class struggle with dreams of class harmony, oh. even pictured the socialist transformation in a dreamy fashion. Not as the overthrow of the rule of the exploiting class, but as the peaceful submission of the minority to the majority that has become aware of its aims. The petty bourgeois utopia, which is inseparable from the idea of the state being above classes, led in practice to the betrayal of the interests of the workers. Working classes, as was shown, for example, 
by the history of the French revolutions of 1848 and 1871, and by the experience of socialist participation in bourgeoisie cabinets in Britain, France, Italy, and other countries at the turn of the centuries. All his life, Marx fought against this petty bourgeois socialism. Yep. And uh, then I'm going to skip down a paragraph and say, The overthrow of the bourgeoisie rule can be accomplished only by the proletariat, the particular class whose economic conditions and existence prepare it for the task to provide it with the possibility and with the power to perform it. While the bourgeoisie break up and disintegrate the peasantry and all the petty bourgeois groups, they weld together, unite, and organize the proletariat. Only the proletariat, by the virtue of the economic role it plays in large-scale production, is capable of being the leader of all the working and exploited people to whom bourgeoisie exploit, oppress, and crush, often not less but more than they do the proletarians, but who are incapable of waging the independent struggle for their emancipation. Now, there's a very specific reason Lenin says this. We talked very in-depth about how important it was for him to get peasants on board. Yes. And this makes that no less true. The reason he feels that the working class has to leave lead things is because they are in control of the machines and machinations of distribution and production okay if you don't stop the economy if you don't stop the capitalist exploitation you don't stop any of this so he sees the working class in a very very specific role now of course there are people that'll extrapolate that out they'll try to you know claim that that Lenin you know says that above means like white workers and says that above all marginalized groups which is absolutely absurd when you realize that this work and many other Lenin work have been large guides to many anti-colonial struggles in the global south okay but Lenin specifically is talking in Russia about those material conditions and while the peasants are very important because they feed people Spreading that wide, that wide of an organization of, of peasants would be completely untenable. And if they stop, if they strike, if they stop feeding people, they'll simply have the food robbed away and they'll become the ones who starve. So the working class had to be the spearhead here in, in Russia. And something else we should tie in full support of when these prison strikes happen. Not only is it extremely brave oh of these God, prisoners... Yes. Because every time these get done, these are people with a microscope on them. These are people without resources. They coordinate this. They get backlash. They get punished. They get thrown in a no, solitary confinement. No leverage. No, no, leverage, no leverage. No no upshot. No, no, not. I mean, they they know going in, this is going to end badly. They're going to and suffer on a personal level for them. Yeah, they're going to suffer reproduction on a personal level. They still do it because they realize the power that they have as a group. Because you shut down prison labor, and that that's the largest part of non-service labor that 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 we have that has any power. Yep. And so you know that's tying back into the marginalized groups. I mean, black people, indigenous people, the two largest groups in prison, the two hardest hit by the prison state. We need to be aware of and support these prison strikers and fight for prison rights and drive for the abolition of prisons and the abolition of police to get people out of these prisons. Um, and what that's going to do is that's going to really not only do something extremely moral, but that's going to really slow down these gears of capitalists lowering wages, of capitalists being able to exploit you know, at the rates that they want to. Um, you're not going to have these hamburger patties made by prison labor. You know, We can't be fooled by stuff like GLAD, who's a, a supposed drug rehab prison alternative that's really just a straight shot to, to more labor-centric prison labor. You know, We have to shut that stuff down. And and so those those to me are, are focal points. And that's the only reason I highlighted that. Well, no, that paragraph. And for there. sure they need to. And I think I think we both agree that the the best way 
tangible way right now that we can get closer to prison abolition uh, abolition in this country is uh, is Kamala Harris 2020. Gonna, um, I think that's I by far like that's it's the so it's far the way we room. have to. I am going it's to not. I just, I just I need I need a trebuchet. <laughs> I'm, we're talking about French Revolution, so I'm going to load you into a trebuchet, oh. and I'm going to spin that motherfucker, and you're just going to fly. You're just going to fly out of the trebuchet. I was really proud that I kept a straight face for that. Totally yeah, right. that, that was, was that was hard to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was fun. That was good All times. Right, no. so we're, we're going to get back to Leonard. We're going to say yep. the theory of class struggle applied by Marx to the question of the state and the socialist revolution leads as a matter of course to the recognition of political rule of the proletariat, of its dictatorship, of undivided power directly backed by the armed force of the people. The overthrow of the bourgeoisie can be achieved only by the proletariat becoming the ruling class, capable of crushing inevitable and desperate resistance of the bourgeoisie. And of organizing all the working people and exploited people of the new economic system. The proletariat needs state power, a centralized organization of force, an organization of violence, both to crush the resistance of the exploiters and to lead the enormous mass population, the peasants, the petty bourgeois, the semi-proletarians, and the work of organizing a socialist economy. And that goes back to what you said where we need our who's going to spearhead this, because Mm -hmm. it does not... This is not to say... And, and Lenin wouldn't have been saying it here. He's not saying that, well, the peasants just aren't smart enough to be able to handle it on their own. They don't need it. And no one, if you're any good leftist, no one should be thinking, well, the people are too dumb. They need me to lead them. Like, that's not that's not how this works. But practically speaking, at the end of the day, when we get to the point that it, while, while the people will need will have that grounding, hopefully, mm-hmm. I don't think you really are going to get a solid revolution in this country unless the masses have some sort of philosophical grounding. But the people that are going to have to lead it need to be people that know where the hell this is going and why it's going there. There's two things the proletariat had at the time. Um, they were the power to shut shit down. Yep, which we still have. And the ability to see the inner workings of capitalism firsthand better than the peasants without being on that class side of it. So you had people that saw the inner workings of capitalism, but they had class interest to, to uphold it. You had people who were brutally beaten down by capitalism, but couldn't see it really firsthand like peasants. And then you had the working class who were able to straddle both of those things. And that's why they needed to be the spearhead. In the United States... We could see that in our minorities. Nobody sees the inner workings of the power of capital more than black people, more than indigenous yeah. people, more than people of color. Yeah. You know, and and so there's, they have to lead. Um, you know, and it's something that that's kind of hard to straddle because like, you need to care about the most marginalized groups. And a great way for marginalized groups to, to succeed is them leading. We talked about the peasants gaining power and getting what they needed out of the the Bolsheviks, but you also have to make sure that you're not just like saying you're the most oppressed so you get to be in charge because if you don't understand what the other side's doing to you they're going to destroy you Uh, but we have a unique situation here where the most oppressed also have the most intimate knowledge of it i mean they've seen they're the ones you know that can tell you about how the 13th amendment is bullshit you know about how all these communists in the south were you know that that was the largest black movements and they led to the civil rights movement was from the communists and not not from these you know liberal like oh lbj signed this thing and martin luther king said one speech and everybody like thumbs up and now racism's gone you know i mean these are the people that see that firsthand and so they see how that works they see the inherent colonialism uh the 
indigenous people see how we're still in a primitive accumulation better than anyone how we're still ethnically cleansing better than anyone how the parallels in apartheid south africa in israel over the palestinians are exactly the same as what happened here mm -hmm. you know they see that firsthand better than anyone how canada is not actually a better country because they're what these these like little birdie bro fantasy of america but with free health care actually is i hate yeah. i hate the term bernie bro i can't believe it came out of my mouth i was about to say it's like largest parts, <laughs> largest parts of the bernie movement uh are people of color and women but even then you know i mean that's getting stunted off if you're yeah. not anti-imperialist if you're not anti-colonialist what are you doing well, you know? and well, and it's hard. And Canada is an example of that. Well, who's going to tell you Canada is not actually any better than the fucking United States, better than indigenous people? So we get those people. You have to have people that understand the inner workings of what you're battling against. Yeah. And again, it's and not that's who's your spearhead. It's not who hate. It, again, you you. I think again back to that Fred Hampton video. It was like you know, it's not who who just hates the other group most. Like it doesn't it, that doesn't break down. You can't do it just on yeah. the same thing you talk about. You know, it can't just be. Well, it's just class, and it's class, and it's only that. It's it's not race. It's not race, and it's only that. You know, I think it's like Papa Doc. He's like Papa Doc hates white people more than anyone else in the world. Like yeah. he doesn't he doesn't like this paper because it's too white. That doesn't make him a good revolutionary. He just he, he took a thing of hatred and 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 made that his version of oppression. But that wasn't a that wasn't a revolution. That wasn't a a you know a, anything grounded in a in a revolutionary ideology. And that's kind of what we're going gunning for here. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, you know, you really. You really have to see that as leaders, and which is why, you know, when we look at America, we can't just remake the movements that that were killed off by CoinTelPro, or we're going to be killed off by CoinTelPro again, and you know, yeah. maybe we're not going to see the same magic. You know, you don't want to try to just mimic things, but you have to learn from things, and and the biggest movements we're going to learn for are, you know, the the communist movements in the South that that crushed Jim Crow, yeah. uh, the underground railroads, and and spearheading of the Civil War in the South by by you know abolitionists. Uh, the you know running of the Black Panther Party. We're going to have to learn from these things and piece that together, and we're going to have to learn from the people that understand that the best, the victims of of these things. And again, so Black Indigenous people got to lead um, because they got to take the role of the proletariat took in Russia. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see. So it says by educating the Workers Party, Marxism educates the vanguard of the proletariat, capable of assuming power and leading the whole people to socialism, of directing and organizing the new system, of being the teacher, the guide, the leader of all the work and exploited people, and organizing their social life without bourgeoisie and against the bourgeoisie. By contrast, the opportunism now prevailing trains the members of the working party to be representatives of the better paid workers, who lose touch with the masses and get along fairly well under capitalism, and sell their birthright for a mess of pottage. Again, go back to what I just said about yeah. black and indigenous people uh, being our version of the the proletariat who's going to, not that we don't have proletariat, but not that it isn't heavily class-centered, but you know what I'm saying? They're, they're going to be have to be our, our vanguards. Yeah. And, um, you know, you get, well, there's certainly black and indigenous people that, well, what the hell Barack Obama, you yep. know? I mean, they're, they're, they're doing the service of the, the white supremacist leaders. Yeah. Candace Owens. Candace Owens. <laughs> there's Colin Powell. Oh, God. Condoleezza. Sheriff Clark. <laughs> God. Oh. Uh, what's the uh, uh, justice on the Supreme Clarence Court? Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas. You know, I mean, mm, th th mm, th mm, those mm. examples, you know. And it doesn't make them worse than, like, the white oppressors. No. White oppressors are worse. It just means that they're they're not doing anything different as, as being black. They're not actually representing the black and it, community. And, again, and this is a thing that, that, that again, capitalism, the system we have in place, that... that it encourages that. You need 
you need stories of people that can make it through to give this objective, to give this veneer of, well, anyone can do it. Because you have to have, if no one ever won the lottery, people would stop playing it. You got to give them one every now and again just so you can get everyone back to the yes. back to the table and, and every back. every one of them is more than happy to pull up the ladder yep. and ask so, how oh, they can ask I, how they can build the tower up with the other people the, standing on the yeah, roof the second someone gets again yeah you turn because again it's not the thing the thing that most defines you at the end of the day is is your class i think i mean mm-hmm. at the end of the day does does race absolutely play a factor hell yeah it plays a factor and it's a major yeah, factor. and race is largely managed by class class but again, yeah. once you're cl- you can change you you can have people of all different races all unified around their class very easily on both sides of it, both on the proletarian side right. and on the bourgeoisie side. Right. I mean, and that's the thing. You know, you the, largely indigenous people, black people are are on average more in the working class and poor, yeah. and are poorer when in there. Yeah. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't black ruling class people. That doesn't mean there aren't white working class people. I mean, it's. It's going to be a mixed bag. Class is the main driving structure. I'm trying to think of an indigenous ruling class person, and all I can think of is Elizabeth Warren, and I don't think that's She's right. She's not indigenous. I, I don't know. Fucking <laughs> smack the I know. Crap out I just, of you. It was the only thing I could come. Oh, and I shouldn't, because Ted Lou. No, I forget. I, Ted Lou's Hawaiian, I think by definition. So I think by definition, yeah, he's definitely indigenous. All right, I should have. Oh yeah, I missed that one. Ted Lou. I, I missed that one. Yeah, my bad. So, yeah, everyone, I mean, everyone again. But there are there again. Every every still looking at ruling class interests. You're there, going yeah. to have ruling class people of all walks of life. That does not make it where it's oh we're a colorblind society and everything's equal because no Ben Carson does not make the world a better place. Right. That doesn't it just doesn't work that way. Ben, ben Carson is not the spearhead against racism. No. What was the what was the the Godfather Pizza Nine 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 plan? What was that motherfucker's name? The guy that quoted Pokemon during his concession speech. Who was that guy? What? Two, two cycles ago, the last cycle, the the last Obama win before Romney was the oh, he's the governor. He got caught for sexual harassment back when that was a thing that made you not able to be president. Uh, not Carson, the guy who owns Godfather's Pizza and like ran for president. I like, don't remember this was this less at than, all. No, come on, no, you can't. We can't have fallen behind this quickly. Where is it? Hold on, I'm gonna type in Godfather Pizza President, and it's gonna come up like yeah, immediately. Yeah, what is this? Holy God, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Hold I on. I better remember it's, this name. This, you're gonna as soon as it happens. But I gotta get his name up. Uh, ba 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 President. I can type. Uh, Godfather Pizza President. That's Canada. Thank you, Google. Uh, Herman Cain. Oh Herman my God, Herman Cain. Herman Cain. Uh, uh, yeah, baby. Um, the, 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 the man 999, put the, just the dumbest, dumbest man I've ever seen run yeah. for president. But again, he did quote the Pokemon movie during his concession speech. And that was the greatest moment in American <laughs> politics ever. And the fact that he cited the Pokemon movie too, it wasn't that he like did it accidentally. No, no, no. He quoted Mewtwo. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> Herman Cain, guys. I didn't realize Herman Cain quoted Pokemon. Oh my God, that was his concession speech. Yeah, like it was the whole thing. Like when he got, when they finally like, oh, he sexually harassed a bunch of women. He shouldn't be able to be president. Uh, again, it was a different time in twenty, <laughs> yeah. two thousand ten or whatever it was. We, we lived in a wow. fantasy world back then. But yeah, no, he, he quoted Pokemon. It was great. Interesting. It was fantastic. So back to Lenin. Back to Lenin. He says, but the, since the proletariat needs the state as a special form of organization of violence against the bourgeoisie, the following conclusion suggests itself. Is it conceivable that such an organization can be created without first abolishing and destroying the state machine created by the bourgeoisie for themselves? The Communist Manifesto leads straight to this conclusion, and it is the conclusion that Marx speaks of when summing up the experience of the revolution of 1848-51. to 51. 
And so we're going to go to the revolutionary revolution <laughs> summed up. I just love Marxist t- titles are always like the most scientific paper on the theory of this, that, and the other. And <laughs> Lenin, the revolution summed up. Come on, quick, quick, get to the Let's point. Go. Let's go. Yeah. Gotta go. <laughs> we got shit to do, guys. I told you, Lenin is not fuck around. I know, just to the point. So we're going to quote Marx, 18th Brumaire, right here. And yeah. he say, but the revolution is thoroughgoing. It is still journeying through purgatory. It does work methodically. By December 1851, the day Louis Bonaparte's coup d'etat, it had completed one half of its preparatory work. It is now completing the other half. First, it perfected parliamentary power in order to be able to overthrow it. Now that it has attained this, it is perfecting executive power, reducing to its purest expression, isolating it, setting it up against the sole object of order to concentrate all of its forces of destruction against it. And when it has done that, the second half of its preliminary work, Europe will leap from its seat and studently exclaim, Well grubbed, old mole. That's uh, I'm I'm sure that's a burn back in Mark's timey, but uh, <laughs> that, that, I, I, that? That, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Marx. <laughs> this executive power, this enormous bureaucratic and military organization, with its vast ingenious state machinery, with a host of officials numbering a half a million, besides an army of another half million, this appalling parasitic body, which enmeshes the body of French history and chokes all its pores, sprang up in the days of absolute monarchy, with the decay of the feudal system, which it has helped to hasten. Now, I want to be clear. Marx kind of cites something that I mentioned before, because we accidentally got into the branches of the U.S. government. And I mentioned, if the president doesn't want to listen to Congress, who the fuck's going to stop him? If he doesn't want to listen to the Supreme Court, who the fuck's going to stop him? You know, you start peeling this away and you get down to just executive. That's where you really got to go at it, which tells you we're only going to get there with the guns, guys. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so the Lenin continues, the first French Revolution developed centralization, but at the same time it increased the extent, the attributes, and the number of agents of government power. Napoleon completed the state machinery. I Use, useless history degree. Engage. Yeah. No, so first French Revolution developed centralization. The the original French Revolution put all of the power in the hands of the legislature. It got rid of ah. this concept of you have a king and then you have all these feudal lord kind of... Because again, even though you had a king and you think that's the most centralized, it really wasn't. The king didn't rule day-to-day functions of the... You had his vassals and all these people decentralized. The first French Revolution, all power to the central, all power to the to the, the people and the parliament. You, you elected them and that was it. And then you had your committee on public safety and then the guillotine started rolling down. Napoleon came in in the in that vacuum that created after that whole thing fell apart and and cemented what those organizations would be he he codified the napoleonic codes he completely codified state power as we know it the whole concept of the bureaucratic uh military industrial state is all napoleon bonaparte all straight napoleon bonaparte he was because he came up as a a a military yeah. Well, he came up oh, to yeah. their version of West Point. I mean, he is gr- he he basically took the structure that you would get in the military and said, "We're applying it to the state, cross the board, let's go," um, and it remained intact for I mean, ever. It, it, it has been the underpinning of of, of most European states ever since. Oh, and he is he is he is creating a timetable. First first trigger event is the French Revolution that sets everything off. Then you have Napoleon's coup d'état and the reign of Napoleon. That's a whole other thing. And and during that time, because you were constantly worrying and because the empire got so big it necessitated creating this massive state-run bureaucracy to to manipulate it because napoleon was more worried about 
murdering all of Europe. He had stuff to do. Yeah. Um, he had giant portraits of himself to be made. He was not interested in maintaining the day-to-day of the state. He was more... He, he wanted to go to war, and then he wanted... A, a organized and very controllable bureaucracy that would enforce state power. And that's his great contribution to humanity. Cool. All right, well, now we're going to move back into some more Marx quotes from the 18th Premier. We're going to say, Finally, in its struggle against the revolution, the parliamentary republic found itself compelled to strengthen, along with repressive measures, the resources and centralization of governmental power. All revolutions perfected this machine instead of smashing it. The parties that contend in turn for domination regarded the possession of this huge state edifice as the principal spoils of the victor. And this, again, right back to that, this... France is the best... We talk. It's hilarious that Marx talked about England as it was the prime example of, of, capital, of how capitalism evolved. France is probably the best example of revolutions. <laughs> If you want to have a, a history of how do revolutions impact a, a culture and a society, you go to France because they have America had our big one and we call it a day. And then you may call the Civil War one, but it really wasn't. It was kind of the same shit. France has had multiple complete government overhaul revolutions internally, and all of them followed this path. And Lenin saw it of everyone wasn't trying to break the government. They just wanted the government for themselves. And so the original French Revolution overthrows the monarchy. Okay, well, how are we going to keep the monarchy from coming back? Well, let's create an extremely powerful parliamentary system. That will keep it so that a monarch couldn't come back and take us over. We'll have the, the support of the people for that. Cool. Representation works. Uh, they got their asses kicked. Uh, by Napoleon because they couldn't agree and they couldn't come up with what their version of executive power was. They didn't like it. And so their lack of executive, of strong executive power led to them falling. Napoleon, kick them all out. Okay, what do we need? We need a strong fucking executive. Hi, I'm the emperor. My name's Napoleon. Uh, but reinforce again. Now you perfect, you've got the legislative part perfected. Now you've perfected your executive branch. The, the next one, uh, your 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 next revolution against Napoleon after Waterloo, after everything falls apart and the the liberals kind of come back in and take it. Okay, shit. Yeah, he got that executive power thing right. All right, well let's let's grab that. We don't want to change that. We're not changing any of this government. We're just going to reinforce it because it's ours now, and we're going to make it harder to take it back the next time. And then we get to 18th Brumaire, and then we're going to get to Paris Commune again. Paris Commune is the first time this deviated. Every time up till then, it was just. I want a revolution so that I'm the one in charge. It has nothing to do with changing the conditions. It has nothing to do with changing actual representation. It's I want to be the one who has the big, the big, you know, club that I can wield over people. And Lenin, I mean, the, that that line as I'm reading again, this is with a with a background in history. It, this is so fucking obvious when you read it like that. It's like, God damn, dude. Yeah, that's exactly what fucking happens. Every revolution is just, again the American Revolution. I'm starting to see why you like these chapters more. Thank you! That makes sense! <laughs> but they, again, they, they just every revolution, it, it just is honing what the state was. It wasn't ever breaking that state. It was perfecting it in a way that made sure that you got to keep it and the other people couldn't take it back from you the next time. That's all it was. So now Lenin goes to this Marx uh, quote. He says, In this remarkable ar argument, Marxism takes a tremendous step forward compared to the Communist manif Manifesto. In the latter, the question of the state is still treated as an extremely abstract manner, in the most general terms and expressions. In the above-quoted passage, the question is treated as a concrete manner, and the conclusion is extremely precise, definite, practical, and palpable. All previous revolutions perfected the state machine, whereas it must be broken, smashed. This conclusion is the chief and fundamental point in the Marxist theory of the state. 
And yet, <laughs> and yet, the main people running around Germany and Russia claiming to be Marxists at this time We're, said yeah. that, you know, you just got to elect us to the state and we'll fix it. And if you're Lenin and you're reading this, you can kind of imagine. I'm sort of having a sympathetic moment with Lenin right now because, yes, this is crazy talk. Is everyone taking crazy pills? <laughs> That's what, this is the opposite of what he said. What is wrong with you people? And uh, a paragraph down, we're going to continue with Lenin saying, The Communist Manifesto gives a general summary of the history that compels us to regard the state as the organ of class rule and leads us to believe the inevitable conclusion that the proletariat cannot overthrow the bourgeoisie without first winning political power, without attaining political supremacy, without transforming the state into the proletariat organized as the ruling class, and that this proletariat will begin to wither away immediately after its victory because the state is unnecessary and cannot exist in a society in which there are no class antagonisms. The question as to how, from the point of view of the historical development, the replacement of the bourgeoisie by the proletarian state is to take place is not raised here. Yeah, and again, we need to clarify there because someone someone heard something and they're like, but you said! And I, winning political power. Yeah. And attaining political supremacy. Winning political... Look at when... Look at when Lenin was writing this. Win political power does not mean run against the bad guys and run a better campaign and win. Yeah. It just means seizing that power. They didn't run in a, they, they were in the process of violently overthrowing the government. That was seizing political power. It doesn't mean you won your election and that's how you start and you yeah. have to go yeah, that again, way. Again, Lyndon was running this in 18 or 1970. <laughs> 1917. Yes. Uh, he wasn't sitting there going, you know, in four years we're going to run an election yeah. and I'm going to win the damn Duma. He was going, let's kick this shit over. And you it, know? He's going to say it very specifically up because I think it maybe yeah, not until chapter, right yeah. chapter three where it's just, we're going to elect who we want to oppress us for the next four years kind of a thing. Yeah. It's silly. Uh, so he says, this is the question Marx raises and answers in 1852. True to his philosophy of dialectical materialism, Marx takes at his basis the historical experience of the great years of the revolution, 1848 to 51. Here is everywhere else, his theory is a summing up of experience, illuminated by a profound philosophical conception of the world and a rich knowledge of history. The problem of the state is put specifically. How did the bourgeoisie state, the state machine necessary for the rule of the bourgeoisie, come into being historically? What changes did it undergo? What evolution did it perform in the course of the bourgeoisie revolutions? In the face of the independent actions of the oppressed classes, what are the tasks of the proletarian in relating to the state machine? The centralized state power that is peculiar to bourgeoisie society came into being in the period of the fall of absolutism. Two institutions most characteristic of this state machine are the bureaucracy and the standing army. In their works, Marx and Engels repeatedly show that the bourgeoisie are connected with these institutions by thousands of threads. Achievement unlocked. Read an entire page with no stops. <laughs> but, I mean, you get, no. like, every little bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, they don't even have to get into, like, lobbying and stuff no. like that. No. They're connected by a thousand threads. Again, and we the, can see that today. It was so... The, the analysis he's giving here is so... You, you have to remember all the things he didn't see and never would live to see, and yet he still is, everything he says is even more reinforced by the situation we live in now. Yeah. Oh it yeah. didn't get worse. It didn't get better. Yeah, it the got thousands worse. of threads are now tens of thousands Exactly. Of everything he says, Some you, ropes. <laughs> when you're reading it, you're thinking of all of these other things. He, Lenin and Marx didn't even have that basis to go on. They were just able to rationally get their way there and see it way before it became as obvious as it is to us now. Mm -hmm. So, so the bureaucracy of the standing army 
are a parasite, or the bureaucracy and the standing the, army. Yeah, the bureaucracy and the standing army are, are a parasite on the body of bourgeoisie society. A parasite created by the internal antagonisms that run that society, but a parasite that chokes all its vital pores. The Kotskyite opportunism now prevailing in a social, social democracy considers the view that the state is a parasitic organism to be the peculiar and exclusive attribute of anarchism. <laughs> it goes without saying that this distortion of Marxism is a vast advantage to those Philistines who have reduced socialism to the unheard of disgrace of justifying and prettyifying the imperialist war by applying it to the concept of defense of the fatherland, but it is unquestioned by a distortion nevertheless. Again, the imperialist war we're referring to right there is World War One. Right, but I mean, you just take those words at their face. Exactly, but yeah, so he's talking about World War One. You're going to be talking about Iraq, of Venezuela, We're talking about, Iraq, I mean, Libya. All it. all it's all the same. Yeah. All of it. Even then, and we even lose the veneer because he, at least they at the time were using defense of the fatherland as their justification. We're not even using, we haven't well, used no, that in the last 60 years. We don't use that phrase, but it's still, you know, those people are protecting your freedom. They're sacrificing to protect their, they're missing their wives and kids for months, sacrificing for protecting your freedom. If you, if you could read this bumper sticker, thank a teacher. If you could read it in English, thank a soldier that's uh, totally not racist. That, yeah, Check out my bumper sticker. That is, yeah. You know, I mean, that's defense of the fatherland shit. It's yeah. nationalism. Yeah. Whenever you salute the troops who defend us every day, that's fucking nationalism. It's jingoistic crap. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I yeah. we don't use those words, but it's the same thing. But it is. And again, the, the, the whole thing, and it's again, what, how did this come? Napoleon. Napoleon was a ma created a massive state and was from a massive military background. Napoleon yeah. created, in effect, one of the first the first version of the military-industrial complex. He yeah. routed it. He cre he's like, wait a minute. If I take the military and I ingrain it hand in hand with the state, I have a dual means of enforcing my will. I it, and again, that's the only reason, that's the reason he got back into power. He got kicked out of power. He still had the army. Yeah. <laughs> and then he came back for round two, Napoleon two, Electric Boogaloo, and did it one more time. Yeah. So, it says, Lenin continues, the development, perfection, and strengthening of the bureaucratic and military apparatus proceeded during all the numerous bourgeoisie revolutions that Europe had witnessed since the fall of feudalism. In particular, it is the petty bourgeois who are attracted to the side of the big bourgeoisie and are largely subordinated to them through this apparatus. It's why the petty bourgeois are always fucking fascists. Yeah. Which provides us the upper sections of the peasants, small artisan tradesmen, and the like with comparatively comfort, quiet, and respectable jobs raising the holders above the people. Consider what happened in Russia during the six months following February 27, 1917. The official posts that formerly were given by preference to the Black Hundreds have now become the spoils of the cadets. The that, oh, sorry, no, go ahead. The Mensheviks and the Social Revolutionaries. To make that make sense... The official posts that were formerly given by preference to the Proud Boys have now become the spoils of Antifa. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's legitimately... The Black Hundreds were a wild reactionary monarchist group that, that I mean, the worst of the worst of, of the right, kind of their gang. Uh, and the cadets, the Mensheviks, and the Social Revolutionaries say all the right things, did, you know, kind of made it seem like it, but were absolutely just neoliberal, small, imperceptible change, don't shake the boat too much kind of guys. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this, this, I mean, this was the, the DSA, the DSA, the DSA. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I mean, actually, the DSA, the Democrats, and and the uh, um, Trotskyists. Yeah, we don't need three. It was just Democrats, DSA. But again, this is important because, again, it was it showed 
they had no interest in in changing the system. No. They just wanted to be the ones in charge of the system. Yeah, and and again, you know, it's a very good tie there. Lenin obviously will see the very first murmurs and rises of fascism, and he won't be afraid to talk about it. But he was focusing on his situation in Russia, but the Black Hundreds were their factions. Oh, yeah. And he was tying them specifically to the petty bourgeois. And we see that today. Who is Trump's base? Small business owners. Who are the Proud Boys? Suburbans. Mm. You know, I mean, the petty bourgeois. That's who turns into fascists. And, I mean, we're in the range of, we're not small business owners by any means, but we're suburban. Yeah. We, we make decent income. Yeah. Um, we are in the group that would normally transform into fascists. So as you can see from us, you don't automatically turn to fascists from this group, but we're talking large group trends. Well, no, yeah, for sure. Exactly. It's it's all about what what is your what is your ideology? What is your consciousness? Yeah. What are, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah. and what and, and what material conditions are driving? There is you not again. We we to do that. there is not a if you are this you are this thing. And Engels was a class trainer. again. Engels yeah. was fact. I mean, again, everybody has. We yeah. have free will. We have agency. You make choices to get where you are. Absolutely. If but you, we're talking about systemic things. We're talking about overall yes. large chunks of classes. Yes. So then we're going to say nobody has really thought of introducing any serious reforms. Every effort has been made to put them off until the constituent assembly meets. <laughs> and, and this has led in talking directly about like things like, you know, the peasants don't take stuff into your own hands. Wait until the constituent assembly meets. Mm. I think the constituent assembly is going to meet in 1918. Was what it was planned for? Yeah, it was, it was. It was. Well, it was. They were. They said they were going to call it right after the February Revolution. Yeah, and then it they didn't delayed. even start until the October Revolution. They didn't even get close. They hadn't. By the time the October Revolution came around, they still hadn't called it. Yeah. So you know, six it was months just a eight, delay tactic. Exactly. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, and to steadily put this off, it's convocation until after the war, which is World War One. I was talking about. But there has been no delay, no waiting for the Constituent Assembly, and the matter of dividing the spoils of getting lucrative jobs of ministers, deputy ministers, governors, etc., etc. The game of combinations that has been played in forming the government has been, in essence, only an expression of this division and redivision of the spoils that has been going on above and below throughout the country in every department of central and local government. The six months between February 27 and August 27, 19. 17, you can tell when he wrote this chapter, mm-hmm. can be summed up objectively, or it can be objectively summed up beyond all dispute as follows. Reform shelved, distribution of official jobs accomplished, and mistakes, scare quotes, in the distribution are corrected by a few redistributions. But more, the bureaucratic apparatus is redistributed among the various bourgeoisie and petty bourgeois parties, among the cadets, socialist revolutionaries, and Mensheviks in the case of Russia, and more keenly aware, the oppressed classes and the proletariat at their head become of their irreconcilable hostility to the whole of the bourgeoisie society. Hence the need for all bourgeoisie parties, even the most democratic and revolutionary democratic among them, to intensify repressive measures against the revolutionary proletariat and to strengthen the apparatus of coercion that is the state machine. This course of events compels the revolution to concentrate all its forces of destruction against the state power and to set itself the aim not of improving the state machine but of smashing and destroying it. Okay. Uh, Real world tieback that that flashes through my brain as I'm reading that. Um, Especially the, the more the bourgeois is redistributed amongst the various parties the more keenly aware the oppressed class becomes, the more they realize that the whole system is broken and they have to break it, the more the state cracks down and reinforces that power because they know that people are kind of come for them, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Obama. Yeah. 
in in my lifetime is the most clear example of that. In, in, he starts doing the bank bailout. We we do we do we run on we run on. He's so different. He is an outsider. He's going to change it all. We've got hope. We're going to we're going to bring it all down. It's for the people. We're all rising up. That was that that was absolutely the theme of that campaign. And the second he got in, and everyone kind of realized. Oh shit! No, nothing's different. This is the exact same. This is the you you changed the window dressing. You made all the curtains blue instead of red. I'm still equally getting fucked. This is all and oh now I'm getting fucked worse in a couple different. This is a unique new way I'm getting fucked. Oh this is cool. Um, this might all be bullshit. And then whoa, it's amazing how like the police state like enhanced under and we had drone attack. We have all of these enhancements well, to consolidating state. Not power. only that, but they started seeing the reaction of the working class not buying in when Hillary mm -hmm. loses that election. So what do you see? You see, and not this like, oh my God, free speech talk that, that the right-wingers are doing, the liberals are giving earnest, but actual free speech, actual people like coming out in social media and like pointing out the, the systemic wrongs and pointing out our imperialist wrongs and our wars and stuff like that, getting completely silenced with Russiagate scares. Yeah. You know, the fake news scare. The fake news scare was absolutely a a job of class suppression. It was yeah. overt class suppression. Because if you look at who got labeled as fake news and who got suppressed on that, it's yeah. weird how it was all kind of fringe groups and groups that would have been underrepresented and minority groups and, and things that had a view that was not completely mainstream mm -hmm. and not completely in line with what would go... Mm -hmm. Yeah, All of a sudden, Black Lives Matter, our report, it was the Daily Beast called them like divisive Russian agents. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, the people that are, are doing like in the now that are, are telling you that, you know, hey, no, Syria is where U.S. is fighting alongside ISIS and they can't have the same ideology and then go and invade Venezuela? Or why is nobody saying anything about Honduras and Haiti, who are U.S. puppet states since 2009 2010, that are coming back having you know just as much unrest? No one's saying anything about that, but we're, we're going to coup Venezuela. No one's saying anything about you know imprisoning Lula in Brazil so that an explicit fascist could win the election when every poll had Lula winning. That way that the corporates can come in and ravage the lungs of the earth Amazon and then they can use that to launch again attacks against Venezuela you know I mean they and you point that stuff out and all of a sudden your fake news or you know um, what's the one on RT that uh, Lee Camp does uh, redacted tonight oh yeah you know they got a label on their little YouTube channel like oh it was funded by the Russian government and you don't yeah. have like Al Jazeera was funded by the United Arab yeah. Emirates you don't have NPR was funded by the United States government it's just Russia yeah it's just Russia it's, it's all state only and it's like it's like when they claim on they claim on uh, when they're talking about sanctions oh well you know it's not all of Venezuela that's sanctioned it's just the corrupt government of is it okay well when your when your sanction list through OFAC just says all state owned you cannot trade with any state owned enterprise yeah. In a goddamn country where the state sees the means of production, that kind of limits your options here, guys. It means that you're allowed to trade with people that are completely traitors to that cause, but you can't trade with the actual government that is able to give direct support to the people. Yeah, that makes sense. No, you're not totally not sanctioning them or anything. Oh, like no, and, definitely, and of course, Elliot Abrams oh, uh, is, is redoing his humanitarian aid weapons-sending genocide plan from the 80s that he admitted to in court and was a giant scandal at the time. And Alan Omar, who again, you know, isn't all that great, but at least mm. she's 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 like yeah. speaking up for some shit. Okay, she goes after Elliot Abrams, 
and in Israel, and all of a sudden she's this anti-Semite, and it's, you know, it, why are people raising the stink about this Republican poster with death threats to her? You know, and make sure if we point this out, we need to say, well, anti-Semitism is bad. You know, I mean, she's she's getting these ad hoc attacks for calling this, this shit out. It's, it, it's unbelievable how obvious this stuff is. And of course, the U.S. reaction Venezuela starving under sanctions, and we're—I mean—they were very open. There, it's been like the Chilean coup. They're saying they yeah. want to starve the poor. They—they yep. they want to starve them in submission, make the economy scream. Yep. Um, and then they say, well, uh, because Maduro is not t- accepting humanitarian aid, we'll sanction them more. First off, he is from yeah, the Red from, Cross, from, from Russia, from China, China. from the UN. Yeah, from the UN. I mean, that's one of their yeah. super legitimate Western things. Yeah. Uh, but that's not good enough. You know, all the UN people that have visited said the elections are valid. There's not a humanitarian crisis going on there. All this stuff is bullshit. Uh, what's the guy, uh, his last name begins with a Z, was the UN guy that actually went and saw Venezuela for the UN, was like their, their um, what do you call it, that goes and looks... The only person I know with the last name Z is Fareed Zakaria, and I don't think it's him. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think it's Fareed Zakaria. No. I got nothing. It's irrelevant to the conversation. Keep going. Anyway, anyway, so, I mean, the UN is saying that there's nothing wrong in Venezuela, but that's silenced. That's not said. And if you're saying that, all of a sudden, you know, you're fake news. Yep. I mean, you know, this is the thing. They they react explicitly like that. So and it's very exactly what Lenin I do said. I do enjoy the, the listen to the people of Venezuela and then it's a, right. only listen to the people of Venezuela that we agree with though. Don't listen to right. It's like this concept that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life cuz think about that set like all you have to do is interrogate that sentence for a second. Listen to the people of Venezuela. Okay. Um so you in America, a country where more than 50% of the people didn't even elect the current government. Yeah. You think you're you're saying what would what would listen to the people of America sound like? Do we have one homogenous voice that we all speak with? No, fuck no, we don't. We can't agree on anything. But you think there's just one Venezuelan guy that just speaks for the whole team? Like he got elected as representative and he's going to say, hey guys, it's me. I'm the Venezuelan people. No, it's not how this fucking works. Yeah, and then you go in the polls and, I mean, Trump doesn't get anywhere near the support of Maduro. No. I'm close. You know, and, and you know, look at yeah. Trump's approval, Bolsonaro's uh, approval, like it's like historically, yeah. it's historically un- like uh, unliked. Yeah, and again, Bolsonaro literally jailed his opponents. Yeah. They talk about these illegitimate elections, which were totally legitimate because the opposition showed. I mean, they were called. It would have been the equivalent of the locker up chance actually working if they'd have <laughs> imprisoned Hillary Clinton prior to the election. Yeah, they didn't it, need to because she could have lost. She lost that thing right, on her or, own. Or you know, I mean, the the, the illegitimate election talking about would have been like if all the right wingers say, okay, Republicans, we're not voting in this election because we decided oh, it was bullshit. God. Um, and then they started claiming Republicans would have all won, that, and grabbing their little guns out and saying we need to overthrow the government. That, it's it is so it's so bad. It's so obviously it's you know, so dumb. And meanwhile, Lula was actually imprisoned, and no one says shit about you know we're making economic ties with explicit fascists who is destroying. And we talk about like pink imperialism. Is that they call it pink imperialism or rainbow imperialism? Where they they try to claim like oh the Middle East isn't good enough on gay rights so let's go bomb this country oh I was about to say I didn't liberate I, I was like what, what you're talking about like the gays going out and, and conquering a country or something I didn't no, know what you're no, talking the excuse, about like the idea is no. like you like, use humanitarian Israel. Israel is 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 pr- supposedly pro gay rights in the IDF so you use humanitarian to, use humanitarian bullshit oh they're mean to women so we must go and bomb yeah, they the do shit that. out of them they do that but then like Bolsonaro is killing LGBT people, like, immediately, immediately yeah. killing, like, trans people and, and queer people and, and gay people, all of it, immediately. And, 
Not shit nope. said. Nope. 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 The economist will think he's got some cool business ties. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. the fucking <laughs> So we're going to go down. We're going to go to section three, and that's the presentation of the question by Marx in 1852. Okay. Now he's getting back to some weird headers. Get back to the summed up, the revolution summed up here. <laughs> Come on. All right. So Lennon's going to start. It says, in 1907, marrying... In the magazine of news, I don't even know. No, nope, don't even try. Don't matter. Okay, okay. In so, a play, in a magazine. In a magazine, publish extracts from Marx's letter to a Wy- German guy. Yeah, Weidemeyer, uh, dated March fifth, eighteen fifty-two. This letter, among other things, contains the following remarkable observation. And now as to myself, no credit is due to me for discovering the existence of classes in modern society, or the struggle between them. Long before me, bourgeoisie historians had described the historical development of the class struggle and the bourgeoisie economists, the economic anatomy of classes. What I did to, that was new was to prove that, one, the existence of classes is only bound up with the particular historical phases in the development of production. Two, that the class struggle necessarily leads to the dictatorship of the proletariat. And three, the dictatorship itself only constitutes the transition of the abolition of all classes to a classless society. Now, those are very, very specific points. Yeah. The first one is, you're not a Marxist if you recognize class. Fucking Adam Smith recognized class. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the idea that that your little like celebrity follows, recognize, and point out that there's class difference and corruption and unfairness doesn't make them good. Anybody can recognize class. Marx took that and said, "Well, no, this is tied specifically to production. That's where these historical phases and classes come from." And then Marx says, "And the only way to get to the next phase is a dictatorship of the proletariat. The proletariat." has to rule to oppress the bourgeoisie. That's the only way we're going to get something that's going to become classless. And the dictatorship of the proletariat will lead to a classless society, to abolishing classes by oppressing the oppressors and working for the masses until the masses become everyone because the oppressors won't have any oppressive power. They'll just be moved into the masses. And so Lenin, paragraph down, says, It's often said and written that the main point of Marxist theory is the class struggle. But this is wrong. And this is wrong this is a wrong notion that very often results in an opportunist distortion of Marxism and its falsification and spirit acceptable to the bourgeoisie. You know, the bourgeoisie is okay with you getting mad that they're millionaires. They'll act like they don't, but they're okay that you're getting mad that there's billionaires. They don't want you to say, hey, the problem is these businesses and how this whole yeah. system runs that lets them, you know... Oh, that was right. literally in... It's funny you mentioned that. The, the in, in a recurring segment from Mark's Madness that we haven't got to bring out in a while. Shitty Wall Street, a journal opinion piece of the week. Oh, God, okay. It was last week's Wall Street Journal opinion piece. The one that came out this morning or this afternoon on my watch that just popped up was the Marines are having to teach recruits about 9-11 to justify why they're in Afghanistan because most of the young recruits now were not alive and have no concept of why the fuck we would be there for something that happened 15 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah, but um, they're still volunteering for the... Yeah, the yeah, 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 um, But no, the, the shitty opinion piece that relates to this of the week was a, uh, a the the Wall Street Journal doing their very fair and balanced analysis of why socialism is absolutely not the answer and we need to just get better oh. capitalism, guys. Um, and they literally explicitly state in that fucking piece... No, there's always been this kind of agreement that the, the the poor won't begrudge the rich being millionaires and having multiple mansions as long as the rich kind of sort of don't flaunt it in their face and then publicly snub their nose at it. And then post-2008, they did that, and that riled people up, so now they're frustrated. But super don't do socialism, guys. <laughs> 
fucking. I mean, literally. I wish it was deeper than that. It's just it, no, guys. But socialism is bad. We just need better capitalism. Let's get better capitalism, guys. I I don't. I, I don't. Yeah, I, mean, I wish it was. A, I wish it was deeper than that. It's not. Yeah, it's not a. It's not a problem for them. It's the analysis it's that says that they are controlling you. They're ruling over you. They are your oppressor, and that you have to overthrow them and be their oppressor until the oppression is dissolved. That's what they don't want. Nope. Uh, so we're going to continue on. Let's say for the theory of class struggle was created not by Marx, but by the bourgeoisie before Marx. And generally speaking, it is acceptable to the bourgeoisie. Those who recognize only the class struggle are not yet. Marxist. They may be found be still within the bounds of bourgeoisie thinking and bourgeoisie politics. To define Marxism to the theory of class struggle means curtailing Marxism, distorting it, reducing it to something acceptable to the bourgeoisie. A Marxist is one who extends the recognition of class struggle to the recognition of the dictatorship of the proletariat. This is what constitutes the most profound distinction between the Marxist and the ordinary, small, as well as big, bourgeoisie. It is not surprising that when the history of Europe brought the working class face to face with this question as a practical issue, not only all the opportunists and reformists, but all the Kotskyites, people who facilitate between reformism and Marxism, proved to be miserable Philistines and petty bourgeois Democrats repudiating the dictatorship of the proletariat. Yeah. Yeah, and then he talks about Kautsky having a specific pamphlet against that. The Dictatorship of the Proletariat, yeah. which again may be part of our fun, depending on its length, because I think he does one called The Dictatorship of the Proletariat, and then Marx had like a, literally a, a, a reply, like a clapback track, uh, The Proletarian Revolution and the Renegade Kautsky. So <laughs> um, I think there's, yeah, that may be one where we do a reading of those back. I may do a reading of those back to back. That would be Get fun, it up yeah. in the thread just to kind of, yeah. The, just fun, thing, fun things we're trying to do to plug, plug this feed up and make it, make it, make it useful. <laughs> so then Lennon's going to go on and says, Opportunism today fits in completely with Marx's characterization of the bourgeoisie position quoted above. For the opportunism limits recognition to the, of the class struggle to the sphere of bourgeoisie relations. Within this sphere, within its framework, not a single educated liberal will refuse to recognize the class struggle in principle. Opportunism, and again, I you can extrapolate that to imperialism, oh, yeah. to any damn thing. Oh, yeah. uh, it says, opportunism does not extend recognition of class struggle to the cardinal point, the period of transition from capitalism to communism, of the overthrow and complete abolition of the bourgeoisie. In reality, this period inevitably is a period of unprecedentedly violent class struggle in unprecedentedly acute forms, and consequently, during this period, the state must inevitably be a state that is democratic in a new way, for the proletariat and the property list in general, and dictator, dictatorial in a new way against the bourgeoisie. So fuck your little complaints Super. about authoritarianism. That's the big one. The other one there is this is you can see right there how you get this this distortion that communism is some sort of utopianism or that Marxism is some sort of idea. Oh, it's just hopes and dreams and bullshit, and they don't really they don't really have any practical grounding, and that's just not how the way the world works. It's because of people like Kautsky and these reformists who tried to eliminate the, the middle step of socialism. They just want to talk about the transition from capitalism straight to communism. They don't want to talk about what it takes to get there, about the fact that there will be... They, they just think, it's going oh, to be a struggle. It's, it's, it's going, going to be violent. It's going it's to be, be incredibly yeah. violent. It's going to be incredibly... Up, it's going to be a revolution. It's going to be hard. You're not going to get there willing. And the people that say, oh, well, we'll just get there... The, yes, they're absolutely idealists. They're absolutely utopians. They're making shit up. They're living in a world that is not grounded in fact. 
there is two there it was laid out it was never it was never obfuscated there was always a, a, a progression a dialectical progression you had feudalism which led to capitalism it led which will lead to socialism is the thing that will overthrow that and socialism is the bridge that gets us to communism there is no other way. There is no skip socialism and jump straight to communism. It will never work that way. And if you yeah. talk like it is, you're either one, incredibly naive, and I'm and just stop that. It's not helpful. Or two, you're being intentionally dishonest. And that's probably worse because that's bullshit it's not it was never what it is a distortion of what the actual theory is it's a distortion it's, it's just lying it's just making up what this is and that's the most common thing i see from people who have not myself included who had not read who do if you haven't read marx if you haven't read lenin if you haven't you know even if you've studied what happened as it happened if you haven't read the theory that grounded it you do not get to make critiques like that. You do not get to throw pot shots from the back and say it's not. No, you didn't read the fucking playbook. You don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Right. Uh, so the last paragraph in this is, Furthermore, the essence of Marxist theory of the state has been mastered only by those who realize that the dictatorship of a single class is necessary not only for every class society in general, not only for the proletariat, which has overthrown the bourgeoisie, but also for the entire historical period which separates capitalism from classless society, from communism. Bourgeoisie states are most varied in form, but their essence is the same. All the states, whatever their form in the final analysis, are inevitably the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. The transfer, transition from capitalism to communism is certainly bound to yield a, a tremendous abundance of variety of political forms, but the essence will inevitably be the same, the dictatorship of the proletariat. You're going to see lots of different versions of what socialism looks like based on your material conditions, your place in the world, your time, all of this doesn't mean that they're not all working towards the same end goal and they're all working on the same theory. It's the same way that democracy, liberal democracy in America is not the same as liberal democracy in Germany, in France, in England. Everyone is going to be different, so expecting them to be some uniform blob. Right, is, in Canada and everything. Yeah, like everyone. They're all, are, they're all still fundamentally, all the Nordic countries. Yeah. Again, these are all founded on the same underlying principle. It is all a variant of liberal bourgeois democracy mm -hmm. it yep. is that whole ideology there is no you, you you can't separate them it's just again different branches different flavors different skins mm -hmm. all of that kind of the stuff. the difference between the two is one is a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie and one is a dictatorship of the proletariat and it was never Simple more obvious than i mean again the cult the 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 period of america v ussr it, it, it's they've done a very good job of blurring it ever since then because mm -hmm. then it was it was obvious it was clear it was distinct where that struggle is and if there's one thing capitalism and imperialism and all of this fucking neoliberal bullshit has done a very good job of now is finding ways to make this really muddy and really hard to distinguish where those lines are mm -hmm. and it, it it just takes away it, it blunts all that revolutionary edge and it makes it harder to identify where the path to go is yes but for anybody who's curious again you know that is the end of chapter two if you wonder no. why oh don't go keep going oh I would say we don't end chapter two until we read I, that footnote at the very bottom. Okay. Um, do you have the? Do you have it in line with where you are? I do not. Okay. Then I'm going to read it because this is a. I, I don't. Again, this footnote is outside of the text. It is purely from the author's standpoint. But it's the one. It, it's very long, and I think it adds 
something significant enough to be read into the to the text. If I'm wrong, we'll we'll discuss it as we go. Okay. Um, so this is a sub. This is a immediate footnote to that last line: the transition from capitalism to communism, boundarily tremendous. So Lenin does not mean that only workers will enjoy democratic rights after the revolution. This is in regards to that. The, the democracy will work for the property list in general. Um, as in, he says in the peri- previous paragraph, the revolution will organize a state that is democratic in a new way for the proletariat and the property list in general. Here, property list refers to the means of production, not just personal belongings. It doesn't mean you don't have a car or a house. It just means you don't own the means of production. Um, but how does this square with the contention that only a single class can rule? From its position as ruling class, the proletariat will be free to make compromises with other oppressed classes and groups. Oppressed national groups, students, soldiers, intellectuals, farmers, family businesses, etc. Extending them much greater democratic participation than they enjoyed under the previous capitalist state, as the Soviet state did for soldiers and poor peasants. The working class, just as the bourgeoisie does today, will simply reserve the right to conduct a struggle to defend the new society, including the power to limit the political rights of the individuals, groups, and or classes who wish to overturn a worker state. Uh, In much the same way, for example, that Confederate generals were not permitted to vote or hold office after the American Civil War during Radical Reconstruction. More on this in Chapter 5. But again, that is a tangible... I mean, that's an example in, in this country in our history. Yeah. Of times where you had a you had a you had a struggle. It wasn't necessarily a class struggle, I would say. It was it was two equally ruling classes just with different ways of, of how they wanted to rule. Sure. But one of them beat the other and they used state power to say, No, 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 this isn't all freedom. Just because we're socialists, just because we believe in, in, in a more equitable distribution of things. Is that some pure, everyone gets what they want? No, no, no. You, the free, you don't get to say whatever you want. You don't get to do whatever you If you are an yeah. absolute distinct class, Jeff Bezos does not get to run for office in the new in the new state. He doesn't get to run Amazon. You're going to be forcibly detained and forcibly kept from doing that. And the only way we can even conceive of doing that is through a state. It's yeah. going to be different than the one it is now, but it's absolutely going to be a state with a lot of the same trappings that the current one has, because it's the only—it's the only effective way we know now uh, how to enforce that. Until you—you you weren't allowed to be right wing in East Germany. No, exactly. You—you have. Oh, the DDR is the, the DDR. Yeah. yeah, there is a there is a, uh, it, and again, a lot of what we a lot of what Marx was talking about and they were talking about at the time was you had to go theoretical because you didn't have an example. And and now we have examples. So again, the Paris Commune was, you know, spoiler alert for the next upcoming chapter, the Paris Commune was their best, holy shit, okay, we've got a tangible example of what this looked like. Did it work? Mm, it, 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 it got us going, but it didn't finish the job, and it definitely didn't accomplish the means. We just get to add to that. The USSR. Did it work? Yeah. Yes. Was it the end-all, be-all solution? No, obviously, because it, it did not go where it needed. We, you know, we didn't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. China. Was Mao's China the solution? No, yes, it was a good thing. We have lots more examples to pull from, but we still don't have... We're still going to have to constantly change our analysis as real-world examples come in. We'll adapted to our own material conditions. Even that, but even then, you again, the commun- the way Marx and Engels would have thought about this, uh, how the, the state would look, they literally couldn't even conceive of it. They were trying. They were literally saying, "There will be a a, a a state that is run by the proletariat. It will wither." Away. But we, they literally even had said it that, that it was very vague at the end of the Communist Manifesto until the Paris Commune, because the Paris Commune was the first time you had a real world, tangible, 
try and smash the apparatus and what would it look like afterwards. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of lessons learned from the Paris Commune. And speaking of lessons, I think that's yes. as good a transition as possible from that chapter. Yes. Into the